Hello, it's Tuesday the 8th of December. My name is Oliver Brown and this is another session of Two Mugs and Coffee. Today I'm joined by my friend and colleague Eli, the QC. Murray, Eli, welcome. Thanks, Ollie. It's awesome to be back sitting here talking to you again. It's been a while. I think, um, yeah, feels like we've both been, well, it's been very busy, very busy time in the industry and as far as importing coffee into Australia, we um, are definitely shipping and importing lots of coffee at the moment. So we're mm. all being very busy. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a while since we've sat down and actually spoken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a pleasure to, to, to carve out that time and, and carve we need to do because it has been, you know, I think we've all been and, and probably goes for everyone running at 100 miles an hour. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining. Now, I'm very excited about uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, it's an it's a absolute hot topic and coming off the back of the WBC, um, you know, this idea of processing um, and, and looking at some of the trends and looking at some of the differences. Um, yeah, I thought it would be really exciting to, to do a bit of a deep dive. Not too deep, mind, but, um, you know, peel back the... Uh, Peel back the curtain and 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 you know have a look at what's going on there and and talk about some of the trends. Yeah, and I think that this conversation just recently came up again because we were both very lucky to go down to Melbourne to Mice, mm. uh, which are for those who don't know, Mice is the Melbourne International Coffee Expo, uh, and it also hosted the World Barista Championships mm. as well as many of the other coffee competitions. Uh, opportunity to go and see what's trending, see what people are doing at a barista level, at a brewing level, and, you know, what coffees are, I guess, trending. trending. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and why are they? And I think this is organically how the conversations around that were happening when we were down there and then continued when we came back to work and, you know, got back to our desks and cupping coffees again. So I thought, you know, as you suggested, it's a good time to talk about processing because there's mm. so many different processes out there now. If you think only 10 years ago, up until now, there's 100%. been, you know, quite a few new developments and, and different processes happening at a farm, you know, washing station, um, mill level. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, and I think as well, I mean, we were... We were We've just finished cupping the, the coffees from Riverdale. Um, and I think they are quite a controversial um, coffees um, in that they are untraditional in, in their processing uh, styles. And I think that's what really got us sort of like, oh, let, let's talk about this. Let's dig into this. Mm. Um, so, yeah, before we, we go there, though, I do just want to, as it is a two mugs in coffee session and no two mugs in coffee session, would be complete without briefly looking at the market. Um, I do just want to go over the market quickly before we get to, to the super exciting stuff. But I know for those that you, that you do listen, you know, it is something we, we try and cover off um, uh, in each session. So today on the 8th of November, uh, market's at 166.50. Um, and this is in itself very interesting because we've come off uh, a big high, um, you know, what we've essentially been in 
since, uh, you know, what, start of the year, um, early 2022, and the market's been above $2, and we're finally starting to see it come back to us. You know, this is the first time we've been below, you know, 170 in a while. Um, And the Aussie dollar is also helping us. It's come up a little bit from its very, very weak levels of 6.2. Point six two. So it, it it's it's you know it's interesting that we're talking about processing in a time when coffee has been incredibly expensive, and um, you know uh, there is still this interest for you know micro lots and, and and high quality, and it's exciting to see despite these high prices, people are still wanting to you know stick with specialty keep keep doing this exciting stuff as well as just survival. Um, and I think for me, that was one of the big takeaways of, of you know, uh, mice, whilst it is what had been incredibly challenging, people still were super excited to be there, super excited to talk quality and, um, you know, share their news and info. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the lens as well, I think. Mm. Yeah, it seems like I think at a local level in Australia is a little bit more hope and a ray of sunshine at the moment with mm. as you're saying things are starting to look a bit more optimistic and mm. stabilize mm, but, definitely yeah definitely mm. but yeah let, let, let's get into it Eli um yeah. you know let, let's start at, at you know uh fermentation and 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 uh processing um with with sort of vice in mind one of the things that kept propping up um, was this idea of, ah, oh, they've used additives or, or um, you know, he's got additives in his coffee. And, mm. and it was, it was really interesting because it was always said with a, whilst not, whilst not actually saying it was a bad thing, it was like, oh, he's got additives. Oh. The, 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 the idea was that this was a bad thing. And that we should not be putting additives in our coffee, um, you know, but but no one actually said what those additives were. And it seemed to be this sort of blanket uh, idea that just adding anything to coffee was bad. Mm. And, and I think that's um, from my opinion, that slightly irks me. Uh, it did irk me because it's a very big generalization, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to processing, I mean, you know, an additive, what is an additive? Um, and, and yeah, I think I'd like to sort of uh, unpack that uh, definitely today and, and uh, see if we can shed some light on what that means and, um, you know, what impact that has on coffee too. Mm. But, uh, yeah, but, but before we get there... Um, you know, Australia's always been the, the the consuming country that has been quite traditionalist. Um, you know, we still have a lot of um, customers that want washed coffee. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting to see that trend slowly start to shift, people be more open to talk about it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a real, well, I think you've raised many good points there and, and a lot of yeah, answers and questions, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, yeah, let's start with additives. Um, 
I think, you know, I think that the, for me, there's, there's no real argument. I, for me personally, I don't, I just sit on the fence because I think, um, you know, basically anyone can drink coffee the way mm. they want to drink it. Mm. And I think that's where the mm. argument ends. Mm. And there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons from different people out there in the industry. Um, but it raises a really good point, which I think Ollie, you and I were saying, you know, we see in other parts of hospitality industry. So let's say wine and, and, you know, fine dining. It's amazing. The experimentations going on there, the, you know, fermentation processes, the different things that we're doing natural to foods, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Natural fermentation, as well as additives, adding things to foods to enhance yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, a sensorial experience. And that's what we're starting to see in coffee. So is that is that a bad thing or a good thing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're very very much more politically correct. Uh, I think, like, I I I find the idea that that adding flavour to things is a bad idea is is goes against everything that I love about flavour. You know, like, mm. I love flavour because I love exploring so many different flavours. Mm. I love flavour because I like. You know, uh, I, I like to see it develop in our industry. You know, it, it gets very boring if you're tasting the same flavor. Mm. And and I love, you know, I love it because often, particularly, you know, some of these newer processing methods, they're adding insane new cut profiles that we've never seen, insane fruits that we've never seen. And, um, you know, I think that's incredibly exciting. And, and to me, to, to, uh, to, to suggest that, that adding flavour, because, you know, that's what a lot of these different processes are about, being a bad thing is crazy. I mean, it, to me, it, it goes against everything that, that a lover of coffee, um, you know, yeah, should, should, should be into. I mean... I'm not mm. saying that washed coffee isn't wonderful. I'm just saying that it's really exciting to see all these different new processes coming out. And, and there are a lot mm. of them. Exactly. And I see like, it's like the coffee industry as a whole is, is playing catch up with fine dining and wine, mm. beer, um, mm. you know, whiskey distilleries, gin. Mm. We're seeing so much experimentation and collaborations um, and collaborations across different types of industries there. It's exciting when you see a whiskey distiller, you know, collaborating with a, a winemaker, you know, obviously taking barrels of, you know, a traditional uh, wine oak barrel that's been, you know, maybe Shiraz has been put in there and then handing that to a whiskey distiller mm. and him doing some experimentations as far as how they're fermenting and playing around with, um, the distilling process uh, and there's, you know, thousands of different outcomes there. And I think that's really exciting to see, but 100%. Why, don't we, why don't we do that in the coffee industry? 100%. And, and, it, and it is happening now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it it's, it, I feel like as, you know, a lot of people that we're hearing talking about it as a good thing or a bad thing have come from a long history of working in the industry. So 
it's obvious like you know, in any industry when you see quite large changes you're going to hear people say good or bad things about it and that's what we're seeing online at the moment and and people in person and talking to roasters or baristas mm-hmm. we're seeing people really either absolutely embrace and love this or they're really finding it hard to comprehend and really having a strong disliking to it mm, I, I think as well a lot of that's relevant to the, the the youth of our industry let's face it we are quite a young industry um, mm. and when you look at like wine beer whiskey they've been going for like eons you know hundreds of years eons not quite um hundreds of years <laughs> at the very least mm. and um you know it, it's interesting they're comfortable with with uh, uh, all their, their multitude of flavors. They're comfortable um, with savory flavors. You mm. know, flavors that in coffee people would be like, oh, you know, uh, you, you can't have earthiness in a coffee. That's wrong. You can't have smokiness or woodiness in a coffee. That's wrong. But it's interesting that in wine, in, in whiskey, in, in, you know, beer brewing as well, people celebrate those savories, those tannins, those tarts, those bitters as much as they you know, applaud, you know, the fruits as well. And I think because our industry is relatively young, maybe we're not yet at that stage where, you know, these wild flavours are yet, you know, people are only just getting the head around the fact that they know, you know, they know what to expect from a washed Kenyan, mm. um, you know, or, 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 or a, a Ethiopia from Guji. They're only just starting, just starting to go, oh, yeah, that that's... Uh, a typical profile from Ethiopian Guji. And, mm. and you know, at the same time, there's a part of our industry that's running ahead going, oh, I'm going to do a carbonic maceration or anaerobic fermentation or I'm going to add a musta or I'm going to use yeast. You know, so you've got mm. these, you know, the, these two parts just sort of pulling in the different directions. And and I think, you know, what we're seeing is, is part of that, um, you know, the youth of our industry. Yeah. Um, so true. I think like just on that point when you just walk through some of the more recent trends in fermentation, so anaerobic and carbonic, yeah. um, and, and you mentioned Mosto, I think like for people listening, it'd be good <laughs> to just walk through those quickly. Like we won't <laughs> yeah, go okay. into the full science, yeah. but these are the things we're talking about that have recently been happening and yeah. where have they come from? So yeah. I think one, yeah, okay. one point would be to talk about just I think the strongest, the basis. yeah, and, yeah, and just the, the wine industry, I think, is yeah. where we're seeing a lot of these trends, you know, shift into the coffee processing levels. So, yeah, processing, I mean, well, you know, there are an absolute multitude of, of, of processes we, we could talk about. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of detail that we could go into, but I, I think let's not get too bogged down. Um, obviously, everyone knows the basics, so... We all know what a washed coffee is. We all know what a, a, a natural and a honey is. But more recently, we've started to see uh, these anaerobic fermentations, carbonic macerations. We've started to see additives being used. And by additives, people are adding fruits, um, mustos, uh, you know, basket presses, that kind of thing, um, you know, there have been yeasts now being added as well. And I think this is, uh, you know, the, the area of sort of focus and interest um, that, that I sort of want to dig into a little bit. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, initially 
most people will, will think of, um, you know, sassocestic when they think of carbonic maceration, but it was originally, um, uh, as far as I understand anyway, Camille Mezeralda that um, sort of started working on this concept of a carbonic maceration. Um, and, and what that is essentially is it is uh, processing the coffee, fermenting the coffee in a uh, oxygen free environment with the cherry skin of the coffee in that process so that you're getting, uh, you know, breaking down of the, 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 the sugars and available yeast in, from inside the cherry. So, so that's the point here. It, it's, it's as if it's a sort of a, a, a natural yeast process. And, and, you know, when Camillo did it, it was the first time that anyone had applied what is essentially the norm in the wine industry mm. and used that in the coffee industry. And, and obviously, you know, Sasha competed using Camillo's coffee. Um, you know, Sasha then, uh, uh, Again, I, I, don't, I don't know Sasha's full story, um, but, you know, he then went off and sort of refined that and, and, you know, probably has his own process. But it kind of started really there. Um, then you got uh, anaerobic fermentation as well, which is also um, oxygen being discharged from the, um, the, the, the processing tub bin, uh, um, a vessel, if you like, I mean, it can be anything. Mm. And that's often done by being replaced by uh, CO2, uh, uh, you know, other, other gases that are given off by the cherries themselves often. Yeah. And um, because, you know, that happens when you, when you uh, take oxygen away, uh, that fermentation starts to happen and, and the natural gases within the, the, the cherry sort of, start coming out and push out the oxygen and that's an anaerobic fermentation. So both of those processes add quite unique flavors. The anaerobic fermentation tends to be more about, uh, uh, you know, releasing lactic acids. Mm. Um, so that that's about the sort of um, development of acids and, and uh, crispness that you wouldn't necessarily see in, coffee you know lactic acid um we do um, love our you know it's that yogurty yeah we yeah. love it Yo <laughs> that yogurty vibe that you yeah. get that tartness um and the viscosities as well um so so you've got that carbonic maceration uh on the other hand is more about adding like sort of quite right tart you know dynamic fruit um you know often quite overt uh fruit um, and depending how the pH has been manipulated and the temperature has been, been manipulated, you can end up with quite a different flavor profile. Mm. You know, so, so it is all about that understanding of the producer when they make the coffee, you know, on what flavor profile they're going to end up with. Um, and I mean, look, there, there's a whole set of ramifications around, um, you know, uh, the, the the altitude they're at, therefore temperature, uh, whether or not they've um, used a yeast to um, reduce the natural yeast from the cherry, and and um, uh, then sort of homogenize the flavor using a yeast because yeast is always a much stronger um, 
culture and that will that will sort of overtake the natural yeast that that might be uh, on the cherry skin or, or come from the picker's hands mm. um because at the moment that you pick a cherry off a tree put it in a basket and close the neck of the basket you're essentially depriving that cherry of oxygen and you're essentially starting fermentation the moment it goes in that bag um and so a lot of process uh you know uh, producers doing this process will add a yeast to sort of i guess like reset the um uh, fermentation process reset the um microbial population within the 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 the, the mass of coffee and um you know then they'll they then know that they're starting at a base level and they can go over here over there you know they can they can define they want more you know more temperature more ph which will give them you know this flavor or or that and and to be honest do we have a, cl a, a clear map of what that looks like no we don't um you know producers are only just starting to gain the knowledge to manipulate the coffee to um to do that yeah. um, and those producers i think really understand that a few and far between mm. um but but we are lucky enough to work with a couple of them so um yeah <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you've raised some really good points. And I think because this is all quite new, and when I say new, I mean, it's been around for maybe a decade, but that's still really early years and good producers, good farmers, good processors and agronomists are taking a lot of notes. And mm. I think year on year, they're seeing the results. And sometimes those results are fantastic. And sometimes they're disastrous. Mm. and they need to learn from that so it's still early days where i can imagine if you're just really into data you're collecting all of this information each year what you're using what yeasts how many hours what temperatures all the things you've touched on yeah and then what's the end result yeah um yeah. and then what's the end result for for the customer you're selling it to because i think that's an interesting one where what someone produces and tastes and think is great uh it might not be what that roaster or competitor or the end you know barista wants um so there's a lot of communication back and forth there and i think that's that's where uh great producers are going to win because they're open to feedback and communicating continually with the end buyer yeah yeah i i, I kind of feel sometimes that funny little relationship you described between a consumer or, or, or I guess roaster and, and producers a, like a sometimes a bad dance where everyone's stepping on each other's toes <laughs> you know the, the roaster will ask for something the producer will try it maybe not get it quite right that you know the, the, the roaster might not buy as much as they wanted because it, it's so overtly different to what they expected but they committed so they'll still buy it then they tweak mm. it next year and then the, you know the producer goes off and has another go and you know that does take time and and of course because our industry uh you know so many of the producers are in the the, the global south uh, versus the global north you know it is hard to to share that data share that information um you know it's not like there's a big open source place where a producer can go and get you know get a, a clear understanding of what he's doing it is so much trial and error mm. um and and yeah it, it, it's a challenge and i think actually that's one of the reasons why so many people have started to look even if they're not doing it themselves started to honestly look at 
the the additive of yeasts in in the processing method because it is a way to sort of you know even if they they don't have a huge understanding they can at least get a, you know this this base rate this this sort of leveling out of of their uh, microbial playing field so that they can at least do a straightforward simple process mm, exactly I mean, it is worth pointing out uh um and I, and I think, you know, Lucia Solis is the, the, the queen of all things, you know, like her, the way she describes things is so beautiful. So I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting her, that would be wrong to say, but I'm, I'm using a term I remember her, her referring to, which is this idea that uh, flavor is basically sort of, you know, a microbial byproduct, you know, it's, it's basically flavor, it's microbial poop. And I love yeah. that idea. Mm. You know, these microbial populations um, are consuming sugar in an environment, um, and 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 their byproduct is flavour. Um, and I, I just love that idea that we're we're going gaga over, you know, <laughs> uh, what is essentially microbial food. But but <laughs> the, the the main point is, you know, we've got to understand what microbial populations equals x flavor and that is is i think an area of huge um understanding we need to go through and and as luis refers to it luis uh, rodriguez who's a very close friend of ours and also an absolute pro when it comes to processing he talks about that being an area the black box that our industry only just starting to open the lid off and look in mm. you know even even taking the lid off and getting in there like we're not even that far yet um we're only just starting to lift the black box of of what microbial populations give what flavors and and you know what they do and how the, how they work um and how to get the best out of them so i think that's super exciting mm. i think you've mentioned louise just there who's from capricornio coffees and he runs his own farm, Fazenda, California. And we're very lucky and I would say blessed to know him mm, and absolutely. his knowledge, knowledge there. But I think that's a good touch point right there, which is, you know, if we're talking about all of these new processes and what's been happening and trending, I think a good question there is what, why has it been happening and, and who's been doing that and i think louise is a really good example because i think if we're going to talk about brazil let's think of some mm. big stereotypes here a lot of specialty coffee uh, buyers probably don't really want to jump at brazil first they're going to go for yeah, their, you know <laughs> washed high density coffees from africa and 100%. central america um they're not going to think brazil is going to be you know the bee's knees so to yep. speak. So I think that's a really good point because Louise has taken what stereotypically is a Brazilian coffee, which people just think of is chalk nuts. It's a great yep. stereotype of the cup profile, but he's taken, you know, varietals that haven't even been considered that great yeah. in an area that is challenging to grow. Very low altitude. Yeah. yeah. Very low altitude coffee. But he has taken these amazing, you know, experimentational processing to the next level with a very sound knowledge of what he's doing. 
mm. and producing stunning coffees. And I think mm. that needs to be praised and, you know, say that this is a really positive thing because if you're a farmer in Brazil, you, you've got many, you know, challenges just to produce a great coffee. So, you know, embracing these newer processes has really enhanced people like um, the Wizards' lives and given them a platform to be, you know, seen and heard at, you know, a 100%. level that traditionally only some of our, you know, more sought after origins um, have been looked at. 100%. 100%. Uh, and I think, you know, you're, you're spot on there. I mean, you know, what Luis doing, you know, in Brazil is very exciting. And there are, other, there are absolutely others like him, um, whether or not they have his same agronomical uh, 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 sort of grounding and microbiological grounding that he has uh, is, is a big question mark. Uh, and I, I can't speak for them, but I think that's certainly from Luis's perspective, what gives him this incredible uh, sort of, I guess, um, you know, leg up, mm -hmm. if you like, is, is, you know, the fact that he does have, you know, a microbiological background. He he really does understand uh, what he's doing and, and understands the science behind what he's doing, what doing X will, or at least what what he hopes it will, the impact will be. And as you say, you know, does absolute magic with, with an origin that many people think is, is you know, something for blenders only. Um, mm -hmm. I'm... I'm incredibly excited by the potential of, of uh, Brazil. We're already seeing um, some incredible coffees come from him and, and our other partners as well. But I think Luis specifically uh, really has a huge grounding in that, that scientific understanding, um, which is incredibly exciting. And I also know what I love about what he's doing is he's, his willingness to share that with other producers. Um, mm. I know that this year he... He's sort of um, calling them the, the 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 treasure lots that he has available, where he's used some of his techniques and is working with any producer that is interested and willing to come along on the journey. So he's basically sharing his IP with them, and mm. and showing them how he's doing it, and and learning from them, and they're learning from him. Um, you know, he's seeing how his process can be. Uh, uh, managed in a different location, in a different terroir. And, and you know, I know he's got a huge amount out of it. And also those producers, and we've seen some stunning coffees, um, mm. you know, through collaborations. Um, and what I really want, I want to see more of those collaborations, but I also understand that, you know, there is uh, a certain degree of uh, people protecting themselves from all the hard work they've done and not having someone just, you know, rip their idea off, do a paint by numbers and, and pr produce the same process, same coffee somewhere else um, without doing the hard work. So I, I get why people are quite protective of that, but it's so wonderful to see that just sort of organically happening, um, mm. you know, in our industry from producer to producer. And, it'd be, you know, it's going to be great when that becomes more common. Yeah. Um, That's a really good point there because, as we mentioned earlier, in this recording, we were down at Mice and and Louise was actually there. But also you also mentioned at the beginning of the recording was uh, Riverdale, who mm, uh, mm. Uh, India specialty producer. 
Yeah. And yeah. Um, Mohan. Mohan and his brother Prakash. Yes. Yeah. So Mohan was also at Mice and I did see Louise and Mohan talk for quite a long time. Mm, and it's yeah. exactly that excitement you mentioned about collaboration. Yes. Uh, and sharing knowledge. And I think maybe it's a good point to touch on uh, Riverdale, who they are, because you mentioned them earlier uh, and talking about additives there. Uh, yeah. with their yeah. fruits particular, um, yeah. but they're also doing carbonic macerations. They're also doing lots of other interesting yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say quickly that India as also a stereotype of a cup profile is, you know, more of a basey chopped nuts, a bit of sweetness, yeah. a little bit of fruit. Similar but roles it's it's, Brazil, it's yeah. a, yeah, exactly. And it's an origin that's not well known for very super complex coffees, but uh, here we have Riverdale that are definitely mm. stepping up and doing stuff that oh, hasn't yeah. really been seen coming out of India often. Absolutely. It's so exciting to see. And actually also the other thing that's super exciting is the amount of interest in, in Riverdale has been, you know, uh, you know, really wonderful to see the amount of people who back, um, you know, them and, and, and Mohan and Prakash and, you know, yeah, it, it's it's really exciting, and it, it it shows again that potential for those willing to come on the journey. But um, yeah, they, I, th I think Riverdale do fall under the um, uh, that category of of of, of much more experimental, mm. um, and they, you know, inverted commas, you know, they do use additives. So I know they have a number of processes, and you know, we've got them available for those that are interested. You know, where they add. Uh, yeah, pineapple. Literally, they add the fruit to yeah. um, the the uh, processing, you know, tubs. They they add, uh, um, you know, what is it? Champagne yeast. They've got pineapple. Mm. They've got what? What are some of the others? They've got um, peach as well. Watermelon. Yep. Watermelon. That's, that's quite delicious, actually. <laughs> I do love watermelon. <laughs> and now it's in coffee. Absolutely, and and I mean, you know, the idea of like what's going on there, like oh, mm. you know because they're adding that is that bad and and from my opinion you know re revert back to our earlier conversation absolutely not not only is it not bad it's wonderful because uh people are uh pushing boundaries experimenting thinking you know new thoughts new paradigms but when you really strip back what they're doing all they're doing is adding a source of energy for the microbes to consume hmm. to poop out flavor you know, I, I that's all that's happening. I love the simplicity <laughs> of that explanation. <laughs> and so, so you know, of course, when you add a fruit like an, uh, uh, a pineapple, which has a high acidity, that will obviously impact the pH, which will end up impacting the flavor. So you're not adding the flavor of pineapple. All you are adding is a, a, a an energy source, a food source, and some acid which then has an impact on the cut profile. And, you know, you imagine that on the left hand, with this is quite sort of bright acid, you know, high acid content. Um, so that would massively impact the, the uh, pH versus a watermelon, which is pretty low acid and, and high water content. And actually there's not a huge amount of sugar in, in a watermelon, you know, cause it is literally most of a watermelon's water. You wouldn't have as much of a, a of a sugar source for the microbes to use. Therefore, they would, you know, give out a different, uh, uh, you know, flavor profile. 
um, and, and similarly, all these other fruits. And with the yeast, what's happening there, you know, that's a champagne yeast being applied. And, and the champagne yeast would become the dominant uh, uh, population. They would consume the sugar that's in the substrate. So the mucilage from the processing, you know, from, from underneath the, the, the skin, the champagne yeast would use that to uh, produce flavor again. So, so that's what's happening in, in, um, in, in this case. And is that wrong? It's flavor, you know, as you said, it's not right or wrong. It's just interesting. It's different. It's people trying something exciting. And I think, mm. you know, that's wonderful. Um, you know, it, it, it really is. Um, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and I, it just makes me think as well, like big picture here is some people are very privileged and lucky to, to be able to produce coffees like that and experiment and have uh, those tools and, mm. you know, different yeasts and, and additives to be putting into their coffee. But um, it's made me think also about just very traditional, very simple places uh, in the in the world that, that make coffee, but they don't have access to any of this. Uh, yeah. Often are very poor countries and farmers and producers and, you know, mill managers do not have any of these facilities yeah. or access to that. Um, yeah. But they're still producing amazing coffees. 100%. Yeah. And, and it also makes me think that, uh, you know, recently we've purchased, you know, I'm very excited. We've got Burundi coffees on the water at the moment. Um, and Condessa has been working with our sister company, Supremo, which are based over in Bruges in Belgium. Uh, and they've been working in Burundi for quite a long time and have started the Yakawa project, which we've been a part of for, for several years now. And each year we seem to get a new, say, washing station, uh, which is like the wet mill in Burundi. And, and one of the recent um, additions has been Kionza, which is right up in the north of Burundi. And I think this is an interesting point. They don't really have much access to good water, and the water that they do have access to is you know, it's important. It, it, that water is life literally for them. Mm. It's the water they need to, you know, obviously drink and use for other things. So coffee for them, the priority is not to use as much water at all. So naturally they're making naturals. Yeah. They're, they're not, they don't have the ability or, you know, facilities and, and, uh, money to be able to doing anything but naturals 100%. And, and that's their decision uh, and also it's a sustainable decision um, 100%. to do that so I think that's a really interesting point because we're talking about um, some places and, and people that have such great access and the ability and knowledge to do this but then the other end of the spectrum we still have simple places uh, you know uh, coffees like in Burundi, where they're doing very traditional, really simplistic things, but mm. still producing fantastic coffees. Hundred mm. percent, mm. and same with Ethiopia. I mean, you mm. know, many of those origins produce, uh, you know, in that same locale, produce a natural for that very reason. Um, you know, uh, we saw, for example, in Ethiopia, um, you know, this season just gone, um, and it is just gone because we're now literally, you know, eighth of November, starting to see new. Ethiopian coffee starting to come off uh, 
the trees and into the the washing stations mm. this time last year when they had the civil war and there was no access to funding you know because the banks would pre-fund the the wet mills with funds before they got the cherries they pre-fund them that pre-funding wasn't available so what did everyone do there was hardly any wash last year and they reverted to processing natural and natural for them is like a it's like they're you know it's the equivalent of putting money in the bank you mm. you've you 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 dry the coffee which of course you can do very easily because in ethiopia it's incredibly high altitude incredibly dry high uv which you know again really helps the process of 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 um uh, uh drying the coffee well you can then put it in a bag you know put it in your house and and store it for for a rainy day when the market suits you and then you sell your coffee at the highest price possible mm. so lots of people use using this natural process you know not only as a means of processing their coffee but as putting money in the bank for later you know they know that they can have access they know that they can sell this on the open market and you know for them it, it's it's setting it aside for a, for a better day um you know that in itself is is fundamental for those producers and mm. and again i think like you know again in australia traditionally not so much now but you know when i first sort of came to australia in 2015 there was this idea that naturals were not as preferred as a washed coffee uh that's as i said definitely changed now mm. but you know uh if anything you know that natural process is literally the natural way that coffee has been done for you know hundreds of years mm. um and we should be celebrating that and and you know there absolutely are huge differences in flavor profile depending on how it's dried the temperature it's, which it's dried you know lo and behold the same thing is going on underneath the skin of a of a you know cherry that it is in a in a fermentation tank in a processing tank exactly that same process is happening Hmm. um you know microbes underneath the skin are, are, are in a oxygen-free environment they're using the, the the food source and and they're creating flavor um you know what well, same thing um, <laughs> exactly. so so yeah and that's very interesting and, and if anything the washed process hmm. again is you know that was really sort of championed uh in areas where they they had only small windows of a dry season so yeah. they couldn't they couldn't dry it like tr traditional natural would be which may take two three four four to five weeks to dry they only had a two-week window what do you do then you know yeah. if, if you let your coffee spoil it would be awful so you had to strip off the skin you had to ferment the mucilage that was underneath the skin away so that the 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 parchment had nothing on it and it dried faster. That's mm. why fermentation was originally, uh, you know, the, the wash process was originally done so that you could quickly dry your coffee, get it set and ready and, and, and you know, off the, off the beds for, for the, you know, for the rains to come. So, you know, that's what happened in Kenya. That's why it happened in, in Brazil, because Brazil, you know, had a very quick rainy season after the drying season. In fact, I think, you know, parts of Brazil, Paraná, which is where, uh, coffee was, you know, 
that's where the big coffee production used to be in Brazil. Mm. Um, you know, it, 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 it's processing and, and wet season were the same thing. So, you know, you can imagine the challenges of trying to dry your coffee uh, in, a, in a wet environment. The best way to do it was just do washed coffee uh, um, and, and, you know, small amount of patio drying with a, a mechanization. Um, so, you know, is that more... You know, is that, and I think, you know, that used to be the, the sense that a wash was a purist, you know, you know, that's the, the, the ideal flavor. Well, is it any different to a natural, you know, like, so, I mean, again, there's no right or wrong, but I think mm. sometimes we need to challenge, you know, the ideas that are out there. And I think when you look at those processes, it does, the natural and, and the washed and, mm. um, yeah. That's really good points to raise there. And I think it just goes to show, depending where you are in the world as a coffee grower, what the best thing to be doing, and this is more on a sustainable level, is mm. and for the future of coffee, is using what you have around you to the mm. best of your ability. Mm. Uh, and some places, as you mentioned, have an abundance of water and others are dry and, and water is very sacred. It's literally mm. life for those people. Mm. So mm. I think it just shows that we should be celebrating all types of coffees and yeah. from a traditional processing point of view, as you said, washed and naturals all the way up to these more recent experimentations that have come from, as, as we mentioned, the wine industry, mm. all of it's fantastic, all of it's coffee. Yes. But I think it does what we're talking about here is what, you know, maybe what is the future of coffee then or what is sustainable? I think the answers, yeah, yeah. Are, the answers there are, you know, some some countries and some places uh, are just working with literally the you know the elements themselves. Um, yeah, and yeah, and the seasons and and what they can do with a harvest. Mm. And yeah. I think yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're going. It, no, no. I was just going to say. I mean, you know, working with what they've got. I mean, an, another country that's interesting and that now their techniques are being shared back into Africa. You know, the in Costa Rica where. They used to only be out, well, they are only allowed one cubic meter of water a day for processing coffee, which is mm. nothing. It's, it's nothing. It's a, it's a, well, you can imagine one, you know, one cubic meter by one cubic meter squared tub of water. That's it. So, how do you process all your day's coffee? You have these special pulpers called eco pulpers, um, you know, which, which just take off the skin and leave the mucilage. You know, they're much more controlled and they don't have lots of water gushing through them. And, and the idea behind this was to stop the negative impact of, um, you know, this sort of uh, sugar water running into the rivers and lakes, which was basically poisoning them. You know, it, it, mm. it, it was, you know, it was robbing oxygen from the environment. Um, and, you know, it was done in Costa Rica to manage that. And, and out of that, we got all these amazing you know, white honey, yellow honey, pink honey, red honey, mm. you know, black honey processes, which which I think were absolutely fascinating. Um, and I think, you know, to me, Costa Rica is one of my favorite origins for that, for that case, because you can go to one hill, there may be 10 producers and each of them will have a different take on the same, usually variety process and, and terroir, but they're trying all these different things. And amazing the variety of flavors mm. but you're seeing those eco pulpers now coming to kenya 
and changing the way that Kenyan coffee tastes. You know, in yeah. the last three or four years, now we're seeing Kenyans that taste more tropical. Yeah. Kenyans that have, you know, red fruit. And that's because they're now using the Zico pulpers to save their water, which is their, their resource, um, you know, finite resource. And, and that's changing, changing the way that Kenyans taste. And I have heard people say, oh, where's that traditional orange flavor come from? Mm. Well, you know, it's come from the fact they're now using different pulpits and, and you know, expect this, this trend to, to continue um, as, they, as they evolve with, with you know, necessity of, of production. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's a, really interesting. That's, and really amazing. I think that last point on Kenya and eco pulpers is fascinating and, you know, you could do a whole mm-hmm. you know, research project on that but i think yeah big picture here it just shows again the environment and different you know equipment that farmers and producers are using it all having an effect on fermentation all having an yeah. effect on the coffee profile um, yeah so it's absolutely fascinating um, yeah it is yeah. very exciting yeah <laughs> awesome well i think maybe I've, probably should wrap it up here otherwise we might keep talking for hours and hours on this but (laughs) but it's been really really rewarding and and loving listening to your uh experience ollie because i know you've you've been to many of these places you've mentioned um and you've been lucky enough to to work with some of the best producers doing the most experimental things out there but also visited places that are just doing traditional washed and and naturals Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, to wrap it up, the, the, the answer is that, you know, all coffee can be good coffee mm. and um, everything has its right place. But it will be really interesting probably in the next 10, 20, 30 years, uh, the impact of all this and mm. the long-term effects, what will be sustainable, what will we see as trends and what will actually stay around for a long time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, yeah. watch this space, and and I hope one trend that that does continue is this idea of sharing. You mm-hmm. know, this knowledge share. I mean, to me, has got to be, um, you know, one of the fundamental trends because that's how we evolve and change and and try all these things. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited by the next five years, let alone the next ten. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot's happening. <laughs> Amazing, awesome. Thanks, Eli. I really appreciate you joining me. Um, awesome to have you uh, uh, ask questions and 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 you know add add your own views and ideas as well. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Ollie. Cheers. And for those of you uh, listening and and have any questions, don't hesitate to um, post your questions um, and and ask them and and reach out to us. Uh, we'd be happy to answer them best we can uh, in following episodes. Um, And on that note, thank you everyone for listening and uh, till next time.